0: Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please, don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit lifepointpb.com.
1: We continue this week in talking about the one and others. There are two passages we're going to be in. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we'll be in Galatians chapter 6, the beginning of Galatians chapter 6, and then Genesis chapter 14, Genesis 14, Galatians 6. In Genesis 14. This morning we're going to talk about restore one another. Last week, as we were talking about comfort one another, and this whole idea of, of coming alongside, putting strength in. And these two, I think, are important to go week, you know two weeks apart, or a week apart, um, to go back to back. Because we talk about comforting one another, and sometimes we look at a situation and say that person's going through a hard time. Uh, We want to comfort. We want to put strength in. We want to be used to the Lord to do that. Comfort really has a lot to do, especially when we look at it and the way we think about it, when someone's going through something that was unexpected or, in, in most cases, not something that they could do anything about. Uh, They're just going through a difficult time and, and there's very little, if anything, that they can do about it. And so we come along and we give comfort. This week we're going to talk about how do you give comfort, how do you give encouragement when it is our fault? When there is something that we've done that is wrong, is sin, where we have messed up. How do we treat one another then? As a matter of fact... How we treat one another when we mess up may say more about what we believe about Jesus than anything else that we do. Galatians chapter 6, if you'll look with me. Verse, beginning in verse 1. Brothers, and the word there, people, mankind. If anyone is caught in any transgression, any trespass, any sin, anything where they clearly overstepped God's boundary you who are spiritual before i go any further let's define spiritual because it's clear that the goal that the apostle paul has here under the inspiration of the spirit the goal is is that we be spiritual not carnal but spiritual what is spiritual how do you know if you're spiritual just because you go to church doesn't make you spiritual you can have read the bible through every year for the last 40 years and not be spiritual you can go to seminary and not be spiritual You can give and not be spiritual. None of those things are necessarily an indication of spirituality. How do we know what spirituality is? And I'm not going to go through all of it now, but if you take and trace the idea of spiritual throughout the New Testament, you're going to find this. A spiritual person is one who looks at life the way God does and applies God's wisdom to every situation. That's a spiritual individual. You look at life the way God looks at it, and you apply his wisdom to every situation. Now, in order to do that, you're often going to be at odds with the culture that you live in, and many times even with the people that you know, both lost and saved, because it's not easy to walk spiritually. We tend to walk carnally much more easily. It's much easier to be natural-minded, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's much easier to do things that make sense humanly rather than to walk spiritually. But he says, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are going to look at a situation the way God looks at it. Let me give you an example. Maybe it'll help. A couple weeks ago, I had to go for my annual checkup. The doctor wants to come. He, I have to go. He takes blood. He, you know, he looks at a whole bunch of things. Tells me. I should lose some weight. You know, all those things that he does on an annual basis. Um, and so this year, he he we went through it and he, um, he said, Troy, I've got good news and bad news. Look at my blood work and all that. I said, well, that's great, I think. Um, he said, the good news is your numbers have not changed over the last year. You're still right where you were, you know, all of everything. The bad news is you've gotten a year older. <laughs> well, yeah, doc. Did you go to medical school to figure that one out? I mean, yeah, I got a year older. He goes, as you get older, your numbers, I want your numbers to be a little lower. Um, well, Doc, that's like moving the goalpost on me. You gave me a set of numbers here, and, and now you're telling me we have to move all of this. Here's the thing. If I'm just going on how I feel and what's going on in my life, I would make a diagnosis that everything's fine. I could go into the doctor. In fact, I could save the visit and the money and everything else and just call the doctor and say, hey, Doc, I'm fine. It's been a year, but I feel fine. I don't feel any different than I did last year. Everything's great. He does not take my word for that. He does not. He takes blood, they analyze that blood. He looks underneath at what I cannot see and what he can't see with his physical eye. I mean, there's certain things he can do. He can take a stethoscope and he can listen to my heart and, you know, he can look at different things he can see physically. But what he really counts on is all of that blood work because it's telling him a story that can't be understood any other way. If you and I are spiritual, we are willing to allow God to show us what we cannot see with our natural eye, what's not clear on the outside, what's happening underneath, because God's the one who knows. He knows that. He knows what's taking place. And then we apply his medicine, his prescription to that. That's what it literally means when he says, those of you who are spiritual, be willing to see this from a different perspective. In a practical sense, uh, this can be challenging when you're walking it out. I've been walking out recently in situations where people mess up, where they make bad choices, where they sin. By the way, I'm also some of those people that mess up, make bad choices. And when you're close to a situation and someone messes up and they sin, that natural response often is anything but spiritual. Why did you do that? What were you thinking? Um, how could you? You know, I mean, all of these, and one of the worst, and please remove this from your vocabulary, shame on you. Remove that phrase from your vocabulary because it is not from God, it is from the enemy. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. No shame shame guilt guilt in a negative sense God uses uses conviction might be another word that we could use there to say hey there's something that I want to address in your life but not shame when we're walking with people who have messed up to be able to remember a couple of things and they come out in this passage let's keep reading here in Galatians Those of you who are spiritual, you should restore. The word literally means mend. You could use it for the idea of resetting a bone, a bone that has been broken, and you reset it and cast it so that it will heal properly. In Scripture, it's used for mending nets. There's a hole in the net, and fishermen would sit down, they would mend it. This is the word restore. So there is something that's damaged here, something that's broken. You mend, you restore, you set it right. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness Not rough. Not mean. Not condescending. Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Big heavy loads. Bear them with one another. And so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? He said, this is the law. He said, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. Here's how you demonstrate love. Be restorative. Be restorative in your relationships. Be prepared that as you walk with the Lord, you are going to have within your relationships, you're going to have people who sin. They're going to mess up. They're going to do the wrong thing. How are you going to respond? How are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in you so that you respond in a spiritual way and not in a carnal way. And by the way, he says, remember why you're going through this. Don't get too hard on them because the next screw-up's probably yours. Matter of fact, Paul warned, he said, be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. There's a humility here. And I have found it's very difficult sometimes to walk in humility because when it comes to sin, Everybody else's is always worse than mine. Yeah, I got some, but mine's not nearly as bad as yours. And so this prideful, arrogant attitude creeps in. That somehow I'm not what I should be, but I'm better than you. You cannot restore with that attitude. That is a carnal, devilish attitude. For if anyone thinks he's something, verse 3, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What is Paul saying here? He saying you're all on the same level. Every one of us, we're all on the same level. We all come, the ground is level with the foot of the cross. Everyone comes in need of a savior. Every Everyone comes with sin. Everyone comes damaged, broken, everyone. And even after salvation, even after this, regeneration that takes place within we still are walking being transformed day by day and we still sin we still mess up and he says if you want to walk the way Jesus intended for you to walk in this one another relationship you're going to have to be restorative you're going to have to have an eye restore there are two things that are critical and I'm going to show them to you out of a passage in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the things in the Old Testament were written as our example. They are pictures for us to give us an insight into spiritual truth that's revealed in the New Testament. So here's this New Testament truth that we are to restore one another, that we are to put back together, to bring back to its original purpose. But how do you do that? How do you do that in a practical, biblical, meaningful way? How do we do it? Is restoration just, you know, it's not so bad. It's okay, honey. It's not so bad. It's, you know, it's no big deal. No, that's not restoration. Because sin is a big deal. Sin kills everything it touches. Never forget that. It does. It destroys. Sin is a big deal. It's such a big deal that God sent his son to die for it. That's how big a deal it is. The only way to deal with it, it was such a big deal, the only way to handle it was to send God himself. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, very God, he came and he died for it. That's how big a deal it is. So we don't minimize sin. We don't say it's not a big deal because it is. We also recognize that none of us live without it. Not one of us. Even when we try our best, we don't. Even when we want to, we don't. Sometimes I sin without even knowing I've sinned. And then the Holy Spirit comes and says, you know, that was really sin. I didn't even recognize it at the time. Other times I know. Other times I'm just caught up in the heat of the moment. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. My dad used to say, well, I'm going to do it if Hare hair lifts hell in half of George County. Um. My dad had a saying for every day, every day. Sometimes we just do it because I'm just bound in determined I'm going to do it purposeful, it's willful. But sin, and it needs to be dealt with. God has a way of dealing with it. He wants it dealt with. In order to be involved in restorative ministry, to restore one another, are two qualities that are in Galatians that you're also going to see worked out over in Genesis chapter 14. There are these two qualities. You must have boldness and humility. You must have boldness and humility. And they have to go together. And you can't have more of one than the other. You can't say, well, I lean heavy on the boldness, but not so much on the humility part, okay? And I can't misinterpret humility, which means I have no boldness. No, they, they must go together. You see them here. He's saying if any of you are caught in transgression, you, her spiritual, restore, go. Take initiative to try to bring about restoration in that, which I often don't want to do. I'd, mother, I'd much rather just leave well enough alone. Just let it be. Nobody asked me to get involved. Just let be. Let it go out there. Um, it's none of my business. Just let it be. And sometimes I've actually had this thought, I don't know if I want to start getting in other people's mess because then some of my own mess might come out. It'd just be easier to leave theirs alone. You don't talk about yours, I won't talk about mine. Let's just leave it all be. The Lord says, no, that's carnal, that's not spiritual. There's got to be boldness. There's got to be boldness to say, hey, you know what? This is the wrong path. This isn't what God has for me. This is sin. There have been any number of times in in my life, where people have done that for me. It has changed the course of my life when they were willing to come and say, to is this?" sin? There have been times where God's had me involved in doing that in other people's lives, where I have seen God do miraculous things. I've also seen times where they didn't respond. And I, and I share that with you because you may get involved in restorative ministry and then sometimes people don't respond or they don't respond the right way or the way you thought they would and you'll think well I'm doing something wrong I need a pastor to do it. The same thing happens to me. There are times where people don't respond even if you are doing it under the leading of the Holy Spirit and as humbly as you know how they just don't respond. That does happen. That doesn't mean you stop. That's where the boldness comes in. Look with me at Genesis 14, because I'm going to give you, this is a great example for us of how this actually works out in life. And there's some principles here that you and I need to remember. If you take notes, you can jot these down. If you don't take notes, well, ask the Lord to help you remember. Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. This is the story preceding this, Lot has left Abram. Abraham, he's left him and he's gone down into the valley towards Sodom because remember they had this problem. Their herds were getting too big and they were fighting over water and land and grazing land. And so Lot looks off in this direction because Abraham said, look, wherever you want, you take whatever you want. You pick first and then I'll take whatever you don't pick. Lot says, I want to go there because it looks best down there. And that was towards Sodom, down in that valley towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he goes in that direction. That's all preceding this. Now while he's down there, it says that one who had escaped came because there were some kings who got together in the first part of this chapter and decided they were, gonna, they were going to go to war with Sodom and Gomorrah and some other little city-states down there. And one of the guys escaped from this battle because most of them, Sodom and Gomorrah, they lost. And they were taken into captivity, including Lot and his family. They told Abram, the Hebrews, the first time this word Hebrew is used in Scripture. I think it's significant because this is something that you need to understand. If we're going to help in this restorative ministry, we must be in the world but not of it. You and I cannot turn a blind eye or wink at what the world says is okay when God says it's not. We cannot. Abraham, as you're going to see in this, he's in the midst of pagan people. But he's identified as Abram the Hebrew. He stands out in that place, in that culture. Who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Escal and Aner. These were allies of Abram. Okay, These were pagan guys. These were not Israelites. These were not good godly men but they were allies. There were people that Abram had a relationship with and yet the scripture makes it clear he stood out. Even though he had some allies here, even though they got along, there was, it was clear that Abram served a different God and he lived a different life. Look at the next verse with me. When Abram heard that his kinsmen, that's why we get an idea, his kinsmen. If someone is a believer in Jesus Christ, what does that make them to you? Kinsmen. A brother or sister heard that his kinsman had been taken captive. That happens to us sometimes. We get taken captive. We get taken captive in sin. We get taken captive sometimes by accident. Sometimes we didn't even realize it. Sometimes by choice. But we get taken captive nonetheless. He led forth his trained men born in his house. By the way, I, there's some preparation, I believe, in this restorative ministry. You get ready for it. And that preparation um, will be, Lord, help me understand how you think, what you say about life and living. I want to constantly be a learner in this. That is the training that's going on. The board in his house, 318 of them, most theologians believe that Abram and his men were highly outnumbered. Way, way outnumbered. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. It was a ways. It takes some energy. There's a boldness that Abram has. He takes the initiative. He goes and gets involved in a situation where he could have easily said, you know, this is not my battle. Not my war. Hey, they're leaving me alone. I'm going to leave them alone. He goes and engages in this. And he goes a distance because he goes all the way to Dan. It wasn't easy to do this. If you're going to be involved in restorative ministry, it will cost you something. It's not easy to go after people. It's not easy to say, you know what? I want to, with boldness and humility, get engaged in this, especially under the prompting and direction of the Holy Spirit, and especially when they're my kinsmen, when I'm close to them. I have a relationship with them. And he divided his forces against them by night. I love this. He didn't just run in and think, you know what, I'm doing this in the name of the Lord, and so I'm just going to run right down there and boom. Just No, there was a plan. There was a discerning. There was a praying. There was, Lord, how do you want to handle this? Every restoration situation is a little bit different. Every single one of them. And just because it worked a certain way in the past doesn't mean it's going to work that way in this one. You need to hear the Lord in every situation. Lord, how do you want me to go about it? How do you want me to be engaged in this one? It's kind of like with our kids. You know that when you're raising your kids, they're all different. And the way I discipline one is not how I discipline another, because they respond differently to it. The way that I the way that I talk to one is often different than there are certain things that are the same, but I treat them differently. I had this conversation with one of my kids recently, who was feeling that I'm harder on this particular child feels like I'm harder on them than I am the others. And there's probably some truth in that. I don't tend to want to be that way, but I, I, I acknowledge you know, there probably is some truth in what you're saying. And I want to be aware of that. I want, to, I want to be alert to it. But I also pointed out that what you are interpreting as harder is simply a different way because not only do I have certain expectations of you, but I give you certain freedom that I wouldn't necessarily have given the others. See, every situation, every relationship that we're involved in is different, not the same. You need wisdom from God. How do you want me to approach this person, this situation? He defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. And it goes on the next verse. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. So he got everything back, all, everything that was stolen, plus the people, He got them all back. And after his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, however you want to pronounce it, let's call it Ched. After his defeat of Ched uh, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shabbat. That is the king's valley. So he goes out, king of Sodom goes out to meet him. And Melchizedek, first mention of this Melchizedek, he's mentioned more in Hebrews. He is a... Picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. I believe he's pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, but either way, he's certainly a picture type of it. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. I love this. Melchizedek says, Abram, it's not about you. You haven't won this great victory. God won this great victory. Here's where the humility plays in. There's a boldness involved, but there has to be humility. Even if God uses you in restorative ministry, you must always remember you didn't really do a thing. You just had the privilege of cooperating, partnering with God and what he was doing. He does the work. Look at the next verse. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is where we see a tithe beginning. A tenth. Tenth means tithe, or tithe means tenth. Um, and so you see this picture of Abraham offering this. By the way, just a side note, little thing here, this is about four or five hundred years before the law. So those who say tithing is from the law, this is actually about 400 years before the law is given. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. So here's what the king of Sodom, 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 and the king of Sodom says, and here's He's, he's a picture of the enemy and the enemy's purposes in our life. But what did he say? You can have the stuff, give me the people. By the way, this temptation, this issue is a huge problem for those of us who live in the West. We value stuff more than we value them. And the enemy says, you can have the stuff. I want the people. And Abraham says, no way. No way. Folks, we're going to have to deal with that as Westerners, as Americans, those born in the United living in the United States. Do we value stuff more than we value people? He goes on, next verse. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. I want you to notice something here. This is the humility part. Abraham had predetermined. He'd already made a decision because he had an expectation of what was going to happen. There was glory that was going to come his way. There was reward that was going to come his way. He had expected it, and he'd already been with the Lord and already knew what God was telling him. Abraham, you didn't do this. I did it. And I'm taking care of you. I do not want you to take one thing from this king. Not one thing. Not a thread. Not not a piece of leather off a standover. Not one penny do you take from him. Nothing. Abraham had already predetermined this. He'd already been with the Lord and realized, Lord, I am cooperating with you, but this is you. You are the one doing the work and nobody gets glory in this but you, Lord. Nobody. If you're going to be effective in restorative ministry, that, that work has to be ongoing in you and me. That humility that says, God, you are the only one who gets glory in this. Not me, not anybody else. Just you. Look at the next one. Lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Nobody's going to say they made Abram rich. God is. The, if, if I get rich, it will be because God did it. If I have anything, it's because God gave it. If I am anything, it's because of God. Not because of anyone or anything else. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me, lest Aner, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre take their share. I love this last part, because this is also humility. Abraham did not force his convictions on those who were with him who went out to battle. He'd already done business with the Lord. He'd already had an answer. He knew that when he was offered something, he was going to turn it down. God had already led him to that place. That decision was already made, but he wasn't going to force that on those who went out to fight with him that was their decision to make between them and God. I want you to understand something here, and this is really, really important. It's taken 25 years for the word begin to hammer this into my head and more importantly into my heart. That when I follow God, I don't have to be the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. I just have to follow God. I can be the best Troy that Jesus wants to make me, but I am a lousy Holy Spirit. I can't be the Holy Spirit for you. You can't be the Holy Spirit for me. Now, does that mean we can't teach? one? Well, sure, we can teach one another. We can point out things. We can help understand. When we look at Scripture. We look at what God says. We can do that for one another. But in something that wasn't sin here, there's nothing in this passage that indicates it was sin for them to take the the reward, It was they were entitled to it. It was the way it was done. And Abraham said, whatever they're due, pay them. Let them take it. It's between them and God. This This is between me and God, what God's told me. I'm not going to try to force it on them. And I'm not going to try to force it on my allies who are pagan. They don't serve the same God I do. I'm not going to force it on them either. I'm not going to have the expectation of them that I have of myself. Because they don't know God the way I know him. They don't walk with him the way I do. And that's okay. That's God's gonna deal with all of that. Humility. It's hard to walk with people this way, in my experience, for two reasons. Number one, if I gotta give up something, you should too. Alright? I mean, how many of you feel that way, really? If I got if God's calling me to do it, I you know, I'm like Peter. What about him, Lord? What about him? If i got to do this, what about him? It's not fair that i got to do this and they don't have to. So that's the first thing. When I feel that in me, that's the first indication. Okay, there's pride here for it. There's pride. Because you're worried about what other people have to do and how much you're having to do rather than just trusting me. That's the first reason it's hard to, to live and walk this way. The other one is that if I get past that point and really begin to see God's blessing in it, then I want it for you too. And if you can't see it for yourself, then I'm just going to help you see it. I'm going to just, I'm going to keep pushing this until you get it. Because this is so important, you've got to have it too. I had a mentor one time who loved lemonade. I mean, loved lemonade. Try lemonade every day. Loved lemonade. I don't really like lemonade, okay? But every single day, He tried to give me a glass of lemonade and wanted me to drink it every single day. I said the same thing. I don't like lemonade. Why not? It's so good. It is to you, it is not to me. I don't like lemonade. I'd rather just drink water without the lemon in it or anything else. Or you can put some tea and sugar in there. I'll drink that. (laughs) But I don't want lemonade. Every time I find myself pushing someone to take what I think is good for them, that reminds me of that encounter that happened on a daily basis. It's this a reminder, Troy, you're forcing lemonade. Forcing them to try to go somewhere. None of us do well when we're forced. We usually gag when someone tries to push people. And here's the great thing. If I want to walk by faith and really trust God, then I'm going to cry out to God, if it's best for your life, who's the best one to bring you to that conclusion? The Lord is. The Lord's the best one to bring you to the place that this is the best thing to do. Now again, I'm not talking about open sin where it's clear, okay? That we instruct one another. But often things that we're engaged in may not be clearly sin. may not be wrong as the scripture lies them out. Their preferences are their direction that God has directed us. And he's saying, I want you to walk this way. It doesn't mean everybody else has to walk. You need boldness and you need humility to be able to do this. Boldly go. that I'm going to be involved. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to be involved. And you need humility. because says, you know what? I'm doing this because the word's prompting And because I recognize that I'm 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 messed up too. I've been where you are. I was walking with somebody recently. Through some hard stuff, and was able to look at them and say, you know what? I'm older than you. And as bad as you feel right now, and as much as you've messed up in this situation, I want to tell you something. I've messed up more. I mean, if we were grading. If we were grading sin, you know, on a scale, which God doesn't, but if we were, mine would be up higher than yours. And yet God has been faithful to He's been faithfully healed. He's been faithful to me. Back. And so I have hope for you. Because you are not too far gone. Corey Timboon used to say, there is no pit so deep or dark that he is not the But see, you have, to have, you have to have that belief to be involved in restorative ministry. If you look at them as though they are a leper and you're afraid you might catch something, you will not be able to restore. Jesus made it clear sin is not communicable by touch. He says it comes from within. He told the Pharisees, you think you're defiled because of what goes in. He says, no, what defiles you, what's going what comes out. It's already in there. And that's the reason Jesus went to the woman caught in adultery, and he didn't have a problem with that. He didn't mind having what the Pharisees called an immoral woman wash his feet. They would never do that, not let her touch me. And she's a leper, not literally. But she's a sinner. She's bad. Touches me it rub off. I'll be bad. every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the war. There is not one of us who is an exception. What's more, I would dare say there's probably not anybody in this room who's gone through the last seven days without sinning and falling short of the war. That's the reason we sing Hallelujah from the Lord. I am. Uh, I think that this ministry, to be used of the of the Holy Spirit to restore someone to mend someone, is bigger and more important than we understand. And how we do this in practical ways. And it isn't just beating you over the head when the Scripture says this and you messed up and you didn't do it. The scripture is important. It's important to point that out say so you understand this is what the scripture is. you know what I have found with many believers when I'm talking to them? They already know their sin. They already know. The Holy Spirit's in them, they already know. And they already feel pretty badly about it anyway. I want to be used of the Holy Spirit to create an atmosphere where they can come back, not push them further. Where they can be restored. Where they can be made whole. Where they can realize you can run to Jesus no matter what. I was asking Lord, said Lord, it would be great if we had a testimony or an illustration of this, because it's happened. How many of you have had godly brothers and sisters in Christ help restore you at a time of sin or mistake in your life? How many have gone through that? All right, quite a few hands. Thought Lord, it'd be great to have testimony of this. They'll see it up close and what it looks like. How you do this. How you use people. See, because what God wants to do is He says, I want to restore, but I want to use you in that process. I want you to partner with me in that. It's a privilege that you and I have. We get to become His hands and His feet. We get to be His mouth. We get to be His arms. We get to be His love expressed. We all saw his truth expressed for all those things. Lori said um, one day this week, she said, I couldn't sleep last night. I was up and I was watching something and I recorded it. because It was really good. And you might be interested in it. She didn't know I had, was talking to the Lord about it. I need a testimony. And so I sat and watched it with her and I thought, this is it. This is the testimony. And so I pulled four minutes out of the longer testimony. I recorded it with my iPhone, all right, off the TV. So the quality is not the greatest, all right? You understand what you're getting here. But I think it's clear enough that you can get the message. And let me set the stage for you because I'm only going to show you four minutes of a longer testimony. How do you remember Russ Taft? I'm old enough to remember Russ Taft. Um, in recent years, he was part of the Gaither Vocal Band. Um, but in my day, he, he was with the Imperials. Uh, way, way, way back. And as a matter of fact, when I was a teenager in high school, the big song back in 1981 was, listen to the trumpet of Jesus while the world hears a different sound. And march to the drumbeat of God Almighty while others just snuff around. I'm a member of the Holy Ghost traveling band moving on up to a better land. Anyway, how many of you know trumpet of Jesus? It's about eight of you. Okay. You can Google it, all right? It's there. But it was big back in my day, and Russ Taff was part of the group, and he was the lead singer for the Imperials, and he did solo stuff and all. So he's somebody I know, but I didn't know his story. He grew up in a pastor's home, um, and his dad, um, a very strong man, big man, um, who had an issue with alcoholism. He was an alcoholic. And so he was very strong in preaching. Of course, Russ grew up in a very legalistic kind of atmosphere, where you beat people with the word of God. Um, You know, we're very critical, we we shun, we isolate. Uh, He grew up in that kind of atmosphere. And then, so his dad would do well for a few months. He'd stop drinking, but then he'd fall off the wagon. He would find out, he get kicked out of his church, arrested, and we'd go into town. People would cross over and walk on the other side of the street. Um, Nobody would talk to you. He said, I remember as a teenager. And he said, along with that all the things that go along with alcoholism, the um, the abuse that goes along with it, both physical and verbal. He said, I, both of my parents all of my life said, why couldn't you be like your cousin? Why couldn't you be like your brother? Why couldn't you be like this brother? You know, why couldn't you make good grades? Why couldn't you be an athlete? Why couldn't you do all that? And he said, I wasn't an athlete. I didn't make good grades. But He said, when I was about eight or nine, I discovered what God made me for. He made me for music. He said, I, I discovered music. And he said, even at a young age, God gave the ability to be able just to just to worship him, and to praise him, and for others to be blessed by it. And he said, so I, I began to do that, but he said, my dad couldn't stand the fact that I got any attention or praise. So he would constantly belittle me, beat me down. And he said, um, so I remember as a, as a teenager, my dad got drunk again. You know, he'd been sober for a while. We got drunk, so we got kicked out of another church. So I took my guitar that Sunday night and went to church, and my uncle was standing there at the door and said, Russell, I'm sorry you can't come in." He said, I don't have anywhere else to go. This is all I have. He said, I'm sorry you can't come here. Folks, it is a shame but that is what's associated with the people of God and the church of God, that we treat people way. Like Many have experienced that. Russ said he never drank because of his dad. He never drank. He said until one day in New York, I was 26 years old. He said, I had lived every day of my life with these condemning voices, these you're not worthy, you do not you just constant. And he said, even with all the singing and even when I had certain achievements and all this, time, I didn't, I still live with this unworthiness. And this these voices just tell me, you're not worthy. You don't measure it, you're not worth anything. So at 26, somebody handed him a beer, and he drank it. And he said, I felt something as I drank that beer. And he said, For the first time that I, and as long as I could remember, I didn't hear those voices accusing me. He said, so I drank another one. But I drank several, I didn't hear those voices. He said, the next day I woke up and he said, I honestly prayed and thank God. God, thank you, at least this way. I I can live life this way, but I don't have to hear those voices every day. He said, I had no idea that Satan had just sprung a trap and I was about to go into a deep, dark place. And he talks about his own journey of alcoholism, addiction. Even while he's singing and worshiping and trying to lead others in worship, he said, I couldn't let anybody know what was going on because I knew how the church dealt with people like me. And God began to do something for him. He talks about it. How God took him into a treatment program, counseling program. Uh, he did 12 steps and other things. And he talks about how God used that to a certain degree in his life and tried to change some of his thinking. But he said, I still had all this pain, 50 years of pain and hurt and all. He said, I just figured I was going to live the rest of my life with that. And I was okay because God had given me a certain level of freedom and I was better than I was. I thought, that's okay, I can live with that pain. But God had a divine encounter for us. Someone who was willing to be used in restorative ministry. This is a member of the body who says, God used me to help restore others. I want you to see this minutes and a person's testimony. I, I come out of this place, and uh, Mark
0: Lowry asked if we would just come and and hang out with him a couple of days. And we got there. And what, in he, Houston did you? Houston, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a friend of his that um, the pastor of this church said he was dying of cancer, and would you come and? Uh, just meet him and say hello he loved that DVD he on me and and he pastored 44 years and how you can't say no my Lord he's a prophet of God and so I got my guitar and uh, and I went and when I stepped through that door I froze because he looked so much like my dad and I wanted to turn and run even though you know the whole process of healing and stuff but I got my guitar out of the case and I'd say, uh, Pastor Franklin, what do you want to hear? And he'd do Heartbreak Ridge and other songs like that. And I was getting ready to leave and he asked me to pray for him. And I uh, I, I mumbled something, <laughs> I, 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 but I asked him to pray for me. And I wanted to take those words back, but he said, Russ, I'd love to and he stands up, and he puts his hands on my shoulder, and I'm looking up into his eyes. Daddy was 6'2", and his blue eyes, the white hair, and the big hands, and I start trembling, and I start shaking, and I felt the Holy Spirit just zoom into that place, and I thought I was going to go think, but God had orchestrated this whole thing that as he stood and he prayed for me and I, and all the 50 years of tears just started rolling out of me 50 years of, of just abandonment and hurt and and everything else and and he began to affirm me and i collapsed to my knees and i uh cried and he grabbed my head and pulled me to his belly and began to stroke my hair and he said rush you have no idea how proud Jesus is of you. And said, you have no idea how your gift that he's given you has reached so many people. And the more he did it, the harder I cried. Because I had looked as a man for affirmation. You know, somebody tell me I'm doing good. But if you would, I wouldn't trust it because it's that shame inside me. I don't deserve it. But that afternoon, I felt, I felt 50 years of pain and, and hurt. And I thought I was going to have to live the rest of my life with that. You know, I'd gotten better. But when the Holy Spirit came in and I collapsed, and he just keeps stroking my hair and telling me how much God loved me and how much he loved me. And the more he did it, the harder I cried. And I I, I was just trance. I did everything went away. Everything went away. (laughs) But but it's like that, that day, um he became my father, God, and not dad, or, or, or you know, that it didn't work out too well over here. But he said, let me, have, let me, let me be with you. Let me, you know, share this whole thing, and I'll give you power to get through all of this. And uh, I, I just, I didn't know what to do, but I felt it, <laughs> presence so strong and it's like the therapy and, and uh, the 12-step program and all of this and I was working so hard to get all this together and then he uh he orchestrated this before I was born he knew the path that I was going to take and he had a dad <laughs> in his body waiting for me and and I
1: Could it be that God has ordained you to be that somebody, to be a dad, to be a mom, to be a brother, to be a sister, to be a friend, to be whatever it is that they need, to be able to affirm and say, yeah, yeah, you've messed up. But God still loves you. He still loves you. He's still got a plan for you. He's still got a place for you. He didn't give up. He didn't walk away. I believe, again, that most have never seen the church function this way. And when they do, it will blow their mind. I want you to bow your heads and i ask the team to come up. Are you willing? Are you willing for God to use you to restore one another? You say, Troy, do I have to do this for everybody? No. You can't. That's the reason it takes the whole body. I have found in my life that you're probably gonna be able to do it with very few, really. But for those few it will make a well it will change their life. God will change their life. Would you let him use you? You say, Troy, I have messed up so badly myself, and I would tell you that's what qualifies you. If you have received his mercy and his forgiveness, then you are the perfect candidate to be able to give it away. And if you haven't received it, well then today is that day. Today. Wherever you are in the journey, and it may be that you're saying, Troy, I need somebody to do that for me. That's why we pray with people. That's why we love on people. That's why we point them to Jesus and try to remind them how much God loves them, how much Jesus loves them. In a moment, we'll close this service. We have prayer partners here at the front. We can pray with you about anything. It may be that God just wants to use one of them To be that person in your life today. I was 25 years old. And I. Had messed up. And because of it. Had to leave the ministry that I was working in. I went back home. I got off the plane, and up to that point in my life, I never remember, my father was a good man, but he was not really an affectionate man, I mean, he hadn't grown up in that, he'd never seen any, he didn't know what it looked like, and I didn't really either, but I'll never forget that day at the airport, I walked, walked off the plane and out of the terminal, my mom and dad were there and I was ready I was prepared for for you messed up you screwed this one up royally what were you thinking what'd you do on that particular day that didn't happen my dad just walked up to me and he reached out He just put his arm. It was the first time I ever remember matter In fact, the only time I ever remember my dad hugging me. I broke. I wept. I sobbed on my dad. I remember that to this day in the 27 years since there have been a lot of surrogates that God has used to hug and love on me and affirm speak God's truth I'm grateful for each one and I want to tell you God wants to use you to do that for somebody in his body wants to do that with you maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe a week or a year from now that he wants to do it are you willing restore one another Lord Jesus help us help us believe this give us boldness to go after people even when they're running away from you give us boldness give us courage but oh Lord give us humility as we go that we don't go with our own agenda it's not about personal gain it's not even about a certain result it's simply we want to be used by you in this process Lord, I'm asking, would you give each one in this room who's willing the opportunity to see you work through them in this way? I'm asking you for that. I believe it's okay. I don't believe that it's a a wrong request. I believe you want to do it. So I'm asking you, use your people that way. Allow them to experience it. Lord, for those here today who need to receive it, oh, I pray for your grace poured out. I pray you bring person or persons into their life that you want to use to show them how much you love them. Lord, we cry out for your abundant grace, your overflowing grace. Lord, help us every day. And it may not be as dramatic as this. It may be as simple as a word that we'd speak at the, the checkout, the store. It may be someone who just looks like they are having an awful day. And they need a word. It's an encouraging word, a smile, prayer. A hug, I don't know. Lord, you'll guide if we'll ask you. Would you do this work on your body? May we be known as your people who are involved in the work of restoration. Not cutting people off, not isolating them, not making them earn their way back. Make us like that prodigal father, that great father that was waiting for the prodigals, looking every day, open arms, ready to celebrate. Make us like that. Make us like you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do. We pray this in your name.